So today we've been doing the uh, chanting and our meditation as usual, been cultivating the way of practice of recollecting the Buddha, recollecting the uh, great qualities that the Buddha had developed, such as his boundless compassion uh, that was limitless. He couldn't find any end to it. And uh, before the Buddha was able to attain to uh, this state of awakening, uh, he had built up his paramitas, these spiritual perfections, for countless lifetimes. So when we come to praise these virtues that the Buddha had cultivated, uh, this is also a great source of merit for us as well. And it's a means for us to develop our parameters too. When we are consistent in this practice, when we do it in a smooth and even way, then uh, it will be a method for our minds to reach peace and calm. And it's especially useful when we are in dangerous places. We can recall the great qualities of the Buddha. And by doing this, our hearts will be free of the anxiety and the worry, the suffering that they were previously experiencing. And we'll be able to um, give rise to wisdom as well, be able to accept the truth, which leads our minds into a very bright and clear state. So when we cultivate this uh, Buddha Nusati, the recollection of the Buddha as our meditation object, um, it will be easy for joy and um, samadhi to manifest in the heart. And it's a very appropriate object of meditation for those who naturally incline towards faith, sata. So we recollect the good qualities of the Buddha, of the Dhamma and the Sangha. And for those who incline more towards wisdom, then we can contemplate into the Dhamma that the Buddha taught to bring up this uh, reflection into anicca, dukkha, anatta, into inconstancy, uh, stress and not self. And so this is a form of recollecting the Dhamma as well in that we are contemplating into the Dhamma. And we can see all things as being empty, that everything in this world is a convention, there's something that we suppose into being. And there's no self, there's no me or mine there. When true wisdom manifests, then we'll see that all of the things in this world aren't really real. There's no, there's no absolute truth to them. All the things that we hear, the things that we touch and taste, there's no real, there's no reality to it. We'll see that forms are merely forms. And if we take them apart, then we'll see that there's no true substance to them. 
So like all the things, the physical things of this world, they're comprised of these four properties of earth, water, fire, and air. So what we call the earth elements is um, the hard things of this world and the things that are solid in our bodies, such as the bones, the hair, the teeth, the nails, the skin. And this is one kind of property that our bodies are composed of, this earth property. And there's also the water or the liquid parts. So our blood, for instance, or saliva, pus. And these fluid parts are the water element. And then there's the heat, the heat in our body that comes from, um, from digesting food and burning that food which uh, gives the sense of warmth to our bodies. And this is the fire element. And then there's the air and the oxygen that our bodies process in order to keep ourselves alive, this being the air element. So when we look at bodies in a very coarse way, we see them as bodies. But if we look and observe in a more refined manner, we can see them as being a collection of elements. And if we look even more closely and in more detail than that, we'll see it's just a collection of various minerals. And then when we go even closer, when we zoom in even further, we'll see that there's nothing there at all. We could view these bodies as just being a tiny particle of dust in the gigantic universe that we're in. The problem arises when our minds come and attach to these forms. Start thinking and seeing them in terms of me and mine, which gives rise to these conventions. And our minds then go and attach to these conventions, which... Um, is a cause for us to cling. And this cling then gives rise to suffering in our hearts. So the Buddha taught us that we should try to bring up knowledge and understanding into these things, to be careful. But being careful doesn't mean that we need to constantly be in a deep state of peace, or our samadhi needs to be very strong all the time. What it means is that we should always be looking into the Dharma, trying to see things in terms of Dharma. Whenever any stress or suffering arises, then we contemplate that in line with Dharma. When we do this, what what we're doing is we're turning crises into opportunities, like this very difficult period that the world is going through now, we can use that as an opportunity to understand the truth, to see into the inconstant nature of this world and of our minds as well. So whenever stress arises, then we can ask ourselves, where did that come from? Maybe in the morning when we wake up, there's some there's some difficulty there in our hearts, some pain or being upset in some way. So we can ask ourselves, how long will that feeling last for? It'll just stay there for one period of time and then it'll disappear. 
But when we start thinking about whatever it was that caused that feeling of being upset or being sad to arise, when those thoughts come up again, then there'll be more attachment that comes. And then we'll feel that um, undesirable feeling in the heart, you know, whether it's uh, being upset or being annoyed, it'll come up again. And then after a period of time, it will disappear again. So happiness is just the same. It's inconstant in the same way. And really happiness is just um, when we're experiencing less stress than normal. But if we go and attach to that happiness, that will be a cause for suffering to arise in our lives again. We feel happy and we want to feel more of it or we want to feel it more often. And this is craving, which gives rise to clinging. But the Buddha taught that we should abandon this craving and clinging. We do this by maintaining our mindfulness um, so that it's up to speed with what's going on in a way that we're able to contemplate into the nature of conventions. So we look into these bodies and whatever posture they're in, whatever they're doing, whether they're sitting, walking, standing, lying down. Normally we see these bodies in terms of self. And this is a view that is very deeply embedded in our hearts, what we call Sakaya Ditti. And one way of translating this or explaining this term is a view which is firmly embedded in our hearts. From the very moment that we were born into this world, we've attached to a sense of self. When we go to study, then if we get good grades, then we see ourselves as being good students. Or if we get bad grades, then we take it that we are bad students. And when we go off to work, it's all just self that we're involved in. We attach to these suppositions. It's only when we come to sincerely contemplate in a manner that allows our hearts to um, see into the truth that we'll be able to be liberated and realize emptiness. We'll see that this is the path that allows us to let go of our problems. This path that um, entails the cultivation of mindfulness and the growth of wisdom. When we can realize emptiness in this manner, um, suffering won't be able to arise. And we'll have understand, understood the noble truths that the Buddha taught about. These truths of stress, of the origin of stress, um, the cessation of it and the path leading to the end of dukkha. So if we train our minds and we're sincere in that, we're devoted to this practice of cultivating our hearts every single day, then whenever there's a feeling of self, we'll be able to have the mindfulness there to contemplate into that and to see it in terms of Dhamma. We can see that every day our lives change. And if we live 
for 80 years, uh, for example, if that's um, our life expectancy, then we can contemplate that with every day, um, we can ask ourselves how many days have passed and how many days are left in our life if we're going to live to 80 years. From the day we were born, the amount of time we've got left in this world gradually gets smaller, it shrinks. It's lessening all the time. And we can't stay in this world forever. Even the Buddha, the Lord Buddha, he had to pass away into final Nibbana. And his great disciples, his right-hand disciple, left-hand disciple, and all of those who attained awakening during his life, they all passed away as well. And the great um, monks and meditation masters of the previous generations uh, to us, um, they all had to pass away as well. When we look into the world, we can see that people die every day. And that's just the way that nature is, that these lives of ours are not sure and they don't last. When we contemplate into this nature of change and see that things really aren't sure and they're not stable, then we'll be able to put down all of the burdens that had been weighing on our hearts. And we'll see that this is the path that leads us out of suffering. Many of the people who are listening um, are of quite an old age already. And it's especially important in that case to cultivate and train these minds. It's an exceptionally important practice to engage in. And why is that? It's because our minds take us from birth to death again and again. It's our mind that leads us into the situation. And if we have delusion still present in the mind, then we'll have to be born and we'll have to die over and over again. We'll have to fear, feel fear and love and hate and all these different things. And they just go on and on without end. So we should endeavor to train ourselves in this life to be as mindful as we can be. To be restrained within the sila dhamma, uh, to have uh, moral integrity. To be collected within the precepts, uh, both within our speech and our actions. And all of us uh, practitioners, we are probably very good at this already. Initially, it can be quite difficult to be restrained within the precepts. But when we train ourselves, then we're able to do it. Even if there's strong feelings of aversion or strong feelings of attraction, we have um, forbearance there and patient endurance. And we don't speak or act on those feelings. It's a difficult training, but it's something that uh, we can do, and most of us have done um, quite successfully already. So having developed uh, sila, then what's left is for us to train our minds in the ways of samadhi, of gathering them together and making them firm and stable. 
If our sealer is already very good, then it's definitely something that we're able to do, and it's not all that difficult. In the beginning, it may be tough, however, to cultivate samadhi. But if we carry on without stop, if we try and put our effort into this practice every single day, then we'll be able to get there. And just as Venerable Ajahn Chah said, um, whether we're feeling lazy or we're feeling enthusiastic, we carry on going and we don't stop. If we persist with the practice, then eventually we will have to meet with peace of heart. It'll come up a little bit at a time and slowly grow and cultivate. And it's just like someone who's trying to make fire by rubbing two sticks together. And he rubs them and rubs them, but then he gets impatient and lazy, and so he stops. And any heat that was created uh, dissipates. Then when he gets back to it, he has to start all over again. And so no fire ever comes about because he, he goes about it in this way. And so if, if we do that, if we um, rub the sticks together and then get lazy, it's very difficult for fire to arise. Or another way of looking at it is like planting a tree. And we plant it there and then after not long we dig it up again to see whether it's, uh, how much it's grown. And then after that, we plant it again. And then in no long time, we dig it up again. When we do this, then the tree will die. And so what's important is that we carry on with our practice in a consistent manner. When we pick up a meditation object, there's no need to doubt about it, to wonder whether it's the right thing. Because... All of these meditation objects are merely methods to bring our minds to calm and to peace. So whether we use the contemplation of the body in terms of elements, whether we look at all things as being inconstant, stressful, and not self, or whether we bring up the mantra of Buddha and recite that, these are all methods um, of controlling and supervising our minds so that they're able to stay firmly grounded in this present moment. When our minds are here and now and they've reached a state of peace, then there just naturally won't be any doubt about this meditation object that we're using. So whatever we use that's uh, is conducive to the arising of peace and calm in our minds, then we should pick that up and follow on with it. So like contemplating into the virtues of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, or looking into the nature of emptiness. And those people who are um, from overseas or from Western countries I usually have a lot of wisdom. And it's good for those who um, tend towards wisdom to contemplate a lot. And a very suitable object of contemplation is that of emptiness, of seeing all things as being empty. When we perceive things in this light, then we'll see that emptiness is the same as 
this inner nature of awakening, the Buddha nature. So therefore, we look at all things as being empty. That all sankharas, all conditioned phenomena, arise from conditions. And when we separate them out, then that thing uh, just can't be found. It's like the houses that we live in. If we separate them out into their parts, into the roof, uh, and we separate out the rafters and the bricks and the floorboards, we won't be able to find any house there. We'll see that what we call house is just a supposition that we've come up with. So these bodies are the same. When we separate them out into their parts, then we won't be able to find any self there. We separate out the elements, the fire, the earth, water, and air elements, and see that they all just naturally degrade in line with nature. In every physical thing of this world, every material object is of the same nature as our bodies to decay like this. So we contemplate um, in order to be able to see these qualities of anicca, dukkha, anatta, there within everything. And this is an appropriate practice for those who have a strong wisdom faculty. Reflecting that all things are not sure, that we'll all have to meet with death. And this reflection, bringing up this recollection or using our memory to to remind ourselves of death and that all things are impermanent, that it's all anichang. This is very similar to wisdom, but it's actually the use of our memory. It's an appropriate meditation object for those who have very thick defilements, who are very who have greed, hatred, and delusion come up very strong in their hearts and come up often. We should reflect on death a lot and see that our lives um, have to end in death and that we can't escape from death. And when we can't escape from it, when it's possible that we may die today, then what's the point in getting greedy? What's the point in being averse and um, holding on to grudges? What's the point of getting deluded? When we contemplate this in a way that allows us to see the truth of these lives, that they must end in death, then we'll be able to put these things down and let them go. We can also reflect on this in terms of our breath and see that we're constantly breathing in and breathing out. But when that process stops, then death will follow very quickly. So for like all of us who are sitting here listening, meditating, if we all stop breathing, then within five minutes, every single one of us would be dead. So we see that we can't order these bodies about. And when we can't give our bodies orders and tell them what to do, then what in the world will we be able to order? It's all beyond and above our control. It's all anatta, not self. We come into this world by ourselves and we leave by ourselves. And everything that we meet with and gain in this world, we have to leave behind when we die. 
So therefore, we should all try to keep our minds here in this present moment and to be developing as much merits and as much skillful qualities as we can within our hearts. And just like we have been doing, that we've been chanting, that we are practicing meditation now, and this is a huge amount of merit that we're developing. We all have faith firm in our hearts. And this uh, faith leads us to be devoted to the practice. When we have devotion and we don't get disheartened, we carry on, then wisdom the wisdom that allows us to let go will have to manifest at some point. We can look into these bodies and just touch our hands, for instance, and feel the bones there within our hand and ask ourselves, are these bones really me? Are they mine? We can touch one of the bones on the left of our hand and ask, is this me? And then we touch the bone on the far right of our hand and ask, is that me? But then we see that these two things are separate. The bone on the left is different from the bone on the right. They're in separate places. So if the bone on the left is me and the bone on the right is me as well, then how can I have two me's? And if all of the bones in this body are me, then that means I must have a huge number of selves. We look in this way, then we'll see that really all of it is not self and that other people are this way as well, and so are all the animals. In terms of science, uh, we understand that bones are just a collection of calcium. And so how is there any me or mine there within calcium? Or we look into the blood that we have many liters of in this body, and is that blood self? Is it me? Is it mine? Also reflecting in terms of science, um, what scientists tell us is that these bodies start off as just two cells, and then those cells uh, reproduce and expand in number, and they grow and grow until it forms into the various organs and limbs that we have. And so when all of these things have come from just two cells, then how can there be a me or a mind there? When we don't have enough wisdom, then we'll see all of these forms in terms of self. And so it's important for us to develop in samadhi, to be able to still our minds so that we can gain, we can gain true and accurate knowing seeing that all things are samuti, that they're convention, there's no self there, or they're all not self. It's all anicca, dukkha, anatta. So therefore this training in samadhi is important because if we don't have our minds in a firm and collected state, then it's simply not possible for wisdom to manifest. All that will come up will be memories memories of the things that we've read and listened to in the past. But having gained this intellectual knowledge, we should um, then come and practice, take up this cultivation of the heart, and be able to 
understand in a way that relieves all of our doubts, that gives us a firm and unwavering conviction in this way of practice, that this way of practice really does lead to the arising of true knowledge and wisdom that will take us to liberation, to seeing into not-self and touching into emptiness. When we have reached emptiness, then the heart becomes pure, and we realize that this way of practice is the very same path that the Buddha himself took in order to attain to awakening, to his awakening as the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. As the being who was the most supreme and highest in the universe, higher than all of the ascetics who were practicing um, at the same time as him, that even though they'd gained very deep states of mental absorption and jhana, they still hadn't gained true knowledge from that. So all of us should feel very lucky that we've gained this opportunity in this life to be able to train our minds, to have the opportunity to um, see things in line with truth. So we use that um, as best we can. And we develop this practice, maybe once a day, maybe twice a day. Contemplate often until our minds are very skilled in this contemplation. So skilled that it leads us to attaining to liberation and Nibbana. That the factors of the path all come together and work in harmony. That Sila Samadhi Panya spins around as one entity. And it's really amazing when this happens. We sit in meditation and reach one level of peace. And then we go out and do walking meditation and we're able to keep that same level of calm. And we come back and do sitting practice again and our mind drops to an even deeper state of peace. Previously, we may have wanted to experience practice um, in this way, to uh, know and feel these very deep states of calm. But these states of peace don't arise just because we want to experience them. They come about because of our efforts in the practice. And if we sincerely carry on with it, then eventually we will, ha- we will have to realize this peace. We'll have to... Um, gain a very calm and collected state of mind. And as this carries on developing by itself the peace of heart, then the mind will gather together and the factors of sila, samadhi and panya will all come together into one point. We'll know and experience uh, the heart that's in jhana and we will experience uh, jnana as well, this direct knowing. We will also see clearly um, these factors of the path come together in our own hearts, which brings about um, a very uh, lucid knowing. When Maga Samaki, or the the harmony of the path comes together like this, then our vision of reality, of truth, becomes very clear. 
so much so that we'll be able to permanently cut off and destroy all of the defilements. In the beginning, however, we still are deluded, but deluded by the sense of self, that there's a me and a mind there constantly. So what we need to work at is changing this view that we have, changing it from wrong view into right view, from this view of self into seeing things as not self. So even though um, we still... Uh, sorry, when we can see things in terms of not-self, then the various emotions we feel will still be present. We'll still feel anger, for example, but we'll be able to see that that anger is not-self. There may be delusions still present in the mind, but we'll see that delusion is also not-self. When we can observe in this manner and see things in this light, then it'll make the practice a lot easier. In the beginning, however, it's a real struggle. You know, um, the initial stages of the practice can be very difficult. So what we need to do then is... Um, Oh, sorry, the, the reason it's very difficult at the beginning is because the first barrier that we come across in the practice is very thick and very strong and hard to pass. But it's something that we can get through if we persist. So for us, in this life, we should be intent within this practice to try to use the opportunity that we have to cultivate our hearts so that we can change our wrong views into right views and we can see and know the Dharma with crystal clarity. So we should try and engage in this practice every day and not be heedless to use the opportunities that we have to cultivate and lift up the level of our hearts. So may you all be sincere in this way of practice. <laughs>